Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, 2 Corinthians is where we're going to hang out for this morning. Um, as you're flipping there, just a quick reminder uh, or information for those that don't know. Um, this is We're kind of on our summer schedule, <clears throat> so that's why we're meeting in this room and not the gym. But, but we run pretty hard as a church from uh, August to May. Um, just as we're uh, commanded to take Sabbaths and, and rest, kind of our summertime is our season of rest. Um, but we run really, really hard August through May. We're going to have about 8,000 college students moving back in over the next couple weeks. Um, and we're here for them. We're here for the town. And, <clears throat> and so um, next week, we're going to move back to the gym. So this is kind of our restful season. There's not much setup tear down. But, but starting next Sunday, we'll be back to the gym, or a little bit bigger of a setup, and getting prepared for all the students to come back. Um, really, the, the week of the 19th, they're coming, and then the 26th, everyone will be here. And, um, so we will about triple um, over the next couple weeks. And so as much as fun as this has been, we want to be community for everyone, not just a small group. Um, so what we're doing is we're just kind of mentally preparing for um, what's to come over the next couple weeks. We're asking the church to um, join with the elders. The elders have been doing this for since January, um, and I will be the first one to admit that not all of us, especially me, are, are uh, super disciplined in this area, but um, on Wednesdays, for every Wednesday in the month of August, we're asking you guys to join with us with, from a sunup to sundown fast, praying for God to do something big this year. I know most of you guys know, but um, August 19th, so when we have our first big service with all the college students, we'll also be um, the first service for the church in Milledgeville, the branch church Milledgeville. Um, so there's a ton for us to fast for and pray for and consider and uh, meditate on. So we're just asking you guys, that would start this Wednesday. Um, so for the next four Wednesdays from sunup to sundown, fast from something. It could be food. It could, I mean, just personally, uh, I've been fasting from videos. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever gone on social media and just like got in the video loop um, or gone on Netflix and they just keep playing, right? And then they like pops up, are you still watching? Heck yes, I'm still watching. Uh, I just finished The Office for a third time, which is embarrassing, and I just started it over. Sorry, Bri. Um, so, I just can't, I'm an addict. It just happens. So um, over the next four weeks, next four Wednesdays, we're just asking you guys, if you have more questions, um, there, we preached a series or a, a sermon on fasting probably a month ago. You can go listen to the podcast about it or just talk to me or one of the elders and, and maybe we can give some more clarification. Sound good? All right, um, 2 Corinthians 3 is going to kind of be the, <clears throat> the highlight text for this morning, but we're going to be bouncing all over the Bible, so get ready for that. Um, who is a history buff? Anyone love history? Okay, so as I've gotten older, I'm an old man, as I've gotten older, I've started to appreciate history more, um, and just understanding, I think uh, when you're in high school and even college, it's just stories, like it's just, it doesn't feel real, but the older I get and the more life experience I have, um, I start to connect, like those are real people and real feelings and real actions that took place, and so through all that, World War II has just come alive to me. I wish I would have like, paid attention in my history classes to understand World War II, but just the atrocity that took place with the concentration camps. I mean, the numbness of a high school student listening to that and then going to lunch and making jokes about it uh, just baffles me. It's embarrassing how I didn't really correlate to what all that was taking place. And so a couple weeks ago, I was reading this article about this guy that he was a, um, probably a 10 or 11 through the time of he was in a concentration camp. And um, his story just gripped me because um, he was in the camp and, and all of his family was there with him. And um, so they would get up almost every morning before the sun would come up because, and here's the like, we, we can't desensitize ourselves to this, because they didn't like waking up next to dead bodies. 
So they would get up before the sun would come up when it's still dark so that they wouldn't see. They would just assume everyone's sleeping and they'd get outside. Um, so if they slept in, then they would actually see the whore that was around them. So they'd get up early and then him and his buddies would go sit in the courtyard and, and try to act like life was normal for them. And this was just their routine, getting up before the sun, going out. And so um, this one particular morning as they get out, they would always look up. They had big watchtowers all over the place. And um, the first watchtower they saw, the guard wasn't sitting there. They're like, well, that's strange, but like it's still dark. Maybe he's using the bathroom or maybe like he's eating breakfast. Um, so we'll, just, we'll keep going about our day. But as the sun started coming up and they could see more and more of these watchtowers, they were noticing that there was no guards in the watchtowers. So they started walking around just kind of, um, again, these guys are fearful for their life. So sneaking around trying to see what's, what's going on, where, what's coming for us today. I mean, their immediate thought wasn't the, war, the war's over, we're going to be free. Their immediate thought was like, we're all going to die. Like they are, um, they're doing something as an army, as a military, different today than what they've always done. And this is bad news for us. And so they finally snuck all the way up, didn't see a single guard to the front gate. And as they looked through the gate, they saw a sole man on a horse. And again, their first thought isn't freedom, their first thought is death. So the man on the horse gets closer and closer and closer and pulls out his pistol. And they're like, okay, yeah, like this is, this is what's about to take place. This is what we thought. And shoots the lock off the front gate. He tells them, you guys are free. I'm not from the, those, the, or, the army that's been holding you guys hostage. I'm here to set you free. Don't go anywhere yet. There's food and there's um, medical attention coming your way, but, but you guys are free. Now you got at this point they'd been there for about a year and a half, and just imagine, would you actually believe this soldier? Probably not. I mean, he just pulled out a gun. All the guns that you have seen has ultimately led to your death. So these guys started talking back and forth, these kids. They ran back to all the barracks and started saying, We're free, we're free, and I'm celebrating. They snuck into the guards uh, cabin and they, um, the, the guy still, I mean, it was 70 years later, he still gets emotional talking about the story where there's three teenagers run into the bathroom, turn on the water, and there was hot water. Then had a shower in a year and a half. So they took off their prison, and he's in tears talking about his first shower that he's taken in a year and a half in hot water. And he grabs a nice fluffy towel, and he just enjoys the first moment of real life that he's had. And so through this story, the, the theme that keeps coming up is he will never forget the moment that he was liberated. Like, do you think, I mean, after 70 years, the dude still cries talking about the moment of liberation. And so as we're going through this series this summer entitled The Celebrations of Discipline, what we're really after is this moment of liberation for us, this moment of freedom for us. But praise God for his grace that he's giving us. We don't understand what it means to be free. I mean, it's just such a norm for us that we live in a society. And again, I'm not knocking it. I'm grateful that we were born here and we've been raised in this environment. But we've never been slaves of anything. We've never had to be liberated from anything. And so we take all these preconceived notions into Scripture and into Christianity. And, and if we're not careful, then we're going to look a whole lot more like Americans than Christians. And so 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17 is where I kind of want to jumpstart all of us because this is the moment of liberation that we're talking about. 2 Corinthians 3, pick it up in verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is liberation. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord is being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. 
So this morning, what we're really going to look at is what is one of the major keys for us to understand the liberation that we have in Christ? Because even though we've never had to actually be freed from something, we've never been in slavery, we've never been in bondage, um, for us, there is something that we're actually slaves to, but it feels normative to us. You guys ever heard of um, Stockholm Syndrome? You guys are familiar with this? Okay. Um, so we're so, Stockholm Syndrome is basically the idea that we can be captive, held captive, and, and over time those that are holding captive, because they're being nice to us, we actually think that they're not evil, they're good people. And so because we've lived in this world long enough and we've experienced this, we, we actually think that the things that we're getting from this world are good for us, but we don't realize that they're actually evil. The one that is good is Jesus Christ. So we start to separate these two things. And so we are being held captive by our sins, by our desires, and that's keeping us from Christ. So ultimately, if we want freedom in Christ, if we want to be liberated, what does this look like? And I can promise you it's not what we would think. If you were to sit down and say, okay, um, if you're held captive, what do you need to do to be released? I mean, just think about it. If, if, you're, a, if you're held captive, if you're um, a prisoner, what do you need to do to be released? Well, we can try to break out. We can take control. We can um, come up with all these plans. We can get all the, all the prisoners together and come up with a scheme to get free. But biblically, what we're going to outline is we sit there and we take it. To become free, it actually looks like we submit to those that are over us. To become free, looks like we continue to deny ourselves. And I know that makes no sense whatsoever. But biblically, this is what we see as truth. So to be happy, you must be miserable, right? To be rich, you must be poor. That's where our mind, um, just uh, we are all pendulum thinkers. That when we get to a thought, we just automatic, you know, automatically take it to the far extreme. And I don't want us to do that this morning. I want us to look at the example of what Jesus has done for us. Now, I'll go ahead and just put all my cards on the table. We're going we're gonna to preach this, and we're going to have fun with this, and we're going to interact with the text, and all of us are going to go, yeah, amen, that makes sense. None of us want to actually live this stuff out. Uh, my wife and I were at Homeschool Expo this weekend. It was fantastic fun looking at curriculums and homeschool nerd stuff, and it was fantastic. And as I'm thinking through the sermon, um, I'm driving into the city of Atlanta. Does anyone like to drive into the city of Atlanta? No one else? Okay. Does anyone just spontaneously flick anybody off in the city of Atlanta? Real talk, no? My finger just, Okay. Sorry here, y'all are all perfect, but um, there was, I just don't understand, and there's one moment where my temper got the best of me, but, but the length of p- that people will go, the, the risk that they will put on my family's life to get one car length ahead of me baffles me, but I jump right into it, right? I'm not going to deny, my, deny myself 60 feet of length. Get over there, and I'm going to get in front of you, and so like everyone has to merge, and you're supposed to merge in order, but no. I'm not denying myself. And so the whole time I'm driving through Atlanta, I'm going, what would it look like for me to actually drive as someone who's denying himself, who's submitting to the car length next to him? And to be honest, I never did it. So um, I got home a whole three seconds faster than the guy behind me. That's all that matters. Um, Now, let me, just before we start diving into this again, I'm still in my introduction. This is going to be a long sermon. I know, let me just put this big caveat out. There are problems with this idea of submission. There are problems with this idea of self-denial, that because this is a doctrine that the church teaches, over the years and over the decades, there have been some churches and some denominations and some religions that have taken this to an unhealthy level. 
And I know that, so I want to be sensitive as we're walking into this, because this isn't something um, that, or this is something that religion would use to control the church. That you must submit to me as a pastor, and you must do this and this and this if you want to be a part of this congregation. And uh, this is something that I've seen and I've heard of men abusing their women, saying, you must submit to me because blah, 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 blah. And I want to be really careful and cautious of that over this series, or over this morning, but... We cannot deny the fact that just because some people have abused it, that we can throw it out. We can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There is something here with submission, with self-denial, that is worth redeeming. So we have to understand from a biblical context what that actually looks like. Okay, so I know there's some people like, submission, I, I hear you. Um, there's some people that your parents or your grandparents or someone has been um, hurt and abused because the church pushed this envelope too hard, and I hear you. But I'm asking, let's just kind of clear our ma- minds for the next 20 minutes and understand biblically what this looks like. So uh, flip over with me to John 5. This will be kind of our first taste of what submission looks like, what self-denial looks like. As you're flipping, I, I love one of, the thing, one of the ways that Jesus is described in the scriptures is that he's an empathetic high priest. What that means is that he's not going to ask us to do anything that he hasn't already gone through. We've all probably had that boss or that employer that overloads us and then goes and plays poker and doesn't actually do any work, right? But then we've also had that boss that we know that every, anything he asks us to do, he would jump in and do it first if he could, So what that means is that Jesus is the empathetic. He's someone that's going to jump in and do all this first. So this idea of submission, the first thing that we have to land to is that Jesus is not asking us to submit while he's not. But John 5 is going to paint a different picture for us. John 5, pick it up in verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So stop real quick. Was Jesus equal with God? John 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, right? So we understand it, and this could be a whole other sermon, but we understand how the Trinity works, right? It's not necessarily a hierarchical structure, um, but they're all God separated in together. So what we see here is this admission that Jesus is saying that he is God, which he is. But verse 19 paints the submission picture. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. So we have just straight out the gate. If, if we, if the idea of being a Christian is a Christ follower, Christ is modeling for us this picture of submission. That he is constantly submitted. Even though he is God, he's bowing down his rights. He's denying himself so that he can follow what the father tells him to do. And we see this vivid image in the garden the night before his death. I mean, hours away from being arrested and taken to all these trials and all these court systems and then leading out to his death, what does he pray? God, if there's any other way that this could happen, if there's any other way, let it happen. But if not, your will will be done. So Jesus is saying, listen, I don't want to submit. I don't want to deny myself. I don't want to be murdered on a cross, God. But if there's no other way, I will deny myself. I will submit to you, Father, your will be done. Self-denial is who Jesus Christ was. 
So we cannot, I mean, we have to start here. I don't want to paint this legalistic picture that this is why you do it or else you're going to get in trouble. But we see this idea modeled clearly from Jesus Christ. So why was he modeling this idea for us? What was the benefit of Jesus being, um, submitting to God, denying himself for God? What was the advantage here? We see it clearly as we'll start to work through this, that it's for God's glory and it's for the love of man. That God gets the glory out of Jesus' willing submission and now mankind understands the love of the Father because the submission of Jesus Christ. So what did submission gain Jesus, the glory of God and the love of man? That is the point. That is why Jesus willingly laid his life down. He redefined what greatness is. I mean, think just in your mind for a minute. Think of the greatest human being you know, the most powerful man or woman that you know. And what makes them so powerful? What makes them incredible? Is it their submission to those around them? Or is it the power that when they walk into a room, everyone stands up? Is it the the authority that they walk into a room with? What what is it? What makes in our society, what makes someone powerful isn't necessarily the, the way they serve or submit, but it's the authority that they walk into the room with. Now, did Jesus have authority? Yes, what does Matthew 28 say? All authority. <laughs> Literally, all authority has been given to me. But I'm not going to abuse that. I'm going to submit myself to God. Now, that starts to make sense, but this one will start to make your head spin if you don't watch yourself. Um, flip over to John 15 real quick. I told you we're going to be flipping. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some around you or you can use your phone or um, you can just look at me and I'll read it. John 15, 13. So we can kind of understand the picture that, yes, God or Jesus submits, he denies himself for God's glory and for the love of man. But John 15, 13 takes it another level. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. So not only does, God, does Jesus submit to God, but Jesus is denying himself for us to the point of death on a cross. All right, now let's just take this for a minute because I'm just real talk, church, just for a minute. I love you guys. There are very few of you in this room that I'm gonna die for, just to be honest. Probably one in this room right now. I mean, just, I'm, Sorry, did you think I was gonna die for all of you? You sound really, you look really shocked right now. That wasn't gonna happen. Not like, yes, my wife, my parents are old, so not even for them. They've ran their course. Wife, I will die for you. That's about it. Sorry, parents. It's just truth. But we can all, I mean, we can joke around that, but seriously, consider who you would actually lay down your life for. I mean, that is the ultimate picture of submission and self-denial, that I'm going to put your life literally ahead of my life. And Jesus is saying, this is what it looks like, and this is what I will do. Martin Luther has a quote about this. As utterly free as Christ was, he also bound himself under the law to serve his creatures and to win their salvation. Christ's salvific example becomes a form of Christian freedom. So he's starting to, what Luther is alluding to is this new definition of what freedom and liberation actually looks like. That even though Jesus Christ was free to do whatever he wanted, he chose that freedom to deny himself for us. 
Did y'all catch that? Because this is going to really start to re- redo the way we think and consider and live. That even though Christ was free to do whatever he wanted, he took that freedom and laid it down for the benefit of us, for God's glory and for the love of man. So this denial wasn't something that he was forced into. It was a willing choice to lay down his life. And what we see, I mean, we talk about his life, that Jesus died on the cross, and which is very true. But if you really start to read through the Gospels, Jesus was dying on his cross every single day for the sake of those disciples and those around him. I mean, real talk, don't you guys just have friends that are idiots and you don't want to hang out with? You guys are, I'm I'm just preaching to no one. Don't you guys have friends that are idiots? I know some of you have not returned my calls. That's probably because I'm that idiot friend that you don't want to hang out with. These disciples, man, when you read about all that Jesus had to put up with these guys, majority of the time they were just acting foolish. But Jesus was constantly denying himself for these three years, submitting to the disciples so that they would understand the glory of God and the love of man. That was the purpose that Jesus was leading in that. So the new definition of freedom, the new definition of liberation, isn't you're free, go do what you want. It's you're free for what purpose? Now to deny yourself for the good of God's glory and for the love of man. So we have to wrestle with this idea then. If we see that Jesus submitted to God and Jesus submitted to man, what does that mean for us then? If we're believers, if we have Christ's followers, that we have this newfound freedom that only comes in Christ. And what do we do with this newfound freedom? Go ready to flip again. Galatians 5. Galatians 5 is going to outline perfectly for us what do we do then with this newfound freedom? What do we do with this freedom that we have in Christ? Again, as you're flipping, I'm going to read another Luther quote. Luther wrote a ton about this conundrum of the freedom that is found in Christ. That a Christian is perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. So as a Christian, we are perfectly free, subject to none. A Christian is perfectly dutiful, servant of all, subject to all. So we have this yes and, this both scenario going on, that because of the freedom we have in Christ, we are subject to none. But because of this freedom we have in Christ, we are servants to all. And this is where a lot of people, this will turn into a debate that we don't need to go to right now, but the idea of free will and what does this look like for us. We are subject to none and subject to all. So we choose this day who we serve. As we leave here, we choose to follow the example of Christ or to follow the example of the world. This is the process of sanctification, right? That that Jesus is making us more like him. The way that he's doing that is not exalting us, but humbling us. Galatians 5.1 says it this way. For freedom, Christ has set us free. We would all agree to this. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So for freedom, Christ has set us free. Do not then go back into slavery. Do not put the yoke of slavery back on. Now we had to say, wait, wait, what are, you, what are you talking about here, Paul? What do you mean put the yoke of slavery back on? Because before Christ, I wasn't a slave. I don't know what you're referring to, but this is where we understand we are slaves. We've all been slaves of the world. We've been slaves of sin. That through our birth, we were all born sinful human beings. There's nothing we could do to get out of that sin. So we were slaves to that, but through Christ saving us and rescuing us, he's made us alive in him. We are a new creation. The old is gone, 
the new has come. And so Paul is saying, be careful not to go back into that because that gave you no life before. So what, what big picture, what are we talking about here? Well, that more money brings more happiness. That if we actually want to control or be in control of something, then it only comes at the abuse of man. Right? If we want to be happy in life, that, it, that do whatever it takes to succeed so that you can be happy. It doesn't matter who you step on or just put yourself first. So this is the idea that we understand that self-denial comes from looking more like Christ. But, but we have to understand Mark 9 paints this picture, and we all do this. Mark 9, the disciples are arguing over what? Who is the greatest? So they're literally in the presence of Jesus and arguing about who's better than Jesus. I mean, they're literally walking next to him, seeing all that he's done and going, okay, if that's number one, who's number two? I am. No, I am. No, look what I can do. I can do this. Can you do that? Literally, Jesus just healed a man from death. Can anyone do that? No. So I don't care what you can do with your thumb. You're a loser. But constantly, we're continually walking with this pressure that we want to be like God. And that takes us all the way back to the sin in Genesis 1, right? I mean, this is not a new problem for us. This is why we are all constantly wrestling with this. Genesis 1, they ate from the, from the fruit, right? Why? Because they thought that they could be like God. That the serpent, the snake says, did he really say? That's because he doesn't want you to be like him. So what did they do? They took and ate. And for the rest of humanity, up until this moment right now, we still wrestle with this. That we still think that power and authority is going to make us like God, and that's what we're after but God himself is saying, no, no, no. If you want to be like me, you've got to die to yourself. If you want to be like me, you've got to submit to those around you. So if, if that's what it looks like, then, then what do we do? If we have this freedom found in Christ because we are Christ's followers, and if we're subject to none yet subject to all, what does this process begin to look like? Flip over to Mark 8. I told you we were flipping. Mark 8. Jesus answers this question perfectly. What then do we do with this newfound freedom we have in Christ? What do we do then with this freedom? Mark 8, we're going to read 34 through 38. And calling to the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If any would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So what do we do with this freedom? We pick up literally the, the weapon of death, the cross, and follow him. Verse 35, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for a soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So what then do we do with our newfound freedom? We pick up our cross, we deny ourselves, and we follow him. The first thing we do is submit to Jesus Christ in every arena of our life. Now, uh, let me just... Again, all cards on the table. I've been in church world. I mean, I've never had a job, real job outside of the church, and the church is horrible at this. 
I mean, I've had people say to my face, I pay your salary, do what I tell you to do. You, it hasn't happened here yet. I'm sure it will at some point. And that's what I'm going to say. Hey, I want you to talk to these other elders. I'm going to walk out of here because I'm going to punch you in the nose. What we're talking here then is a constant submission to not our way, but his way. But if we look at what this really starts to look like in the church, it's all a power and control move. I mean, just curious, how many of you guys have heard of a church split over the color of carpet? Okay. Does that sound like self-denial and submission? Or does that sound like pride and arrogance? And I'll just, be, I'll just be the level middle ground. Every color of carpet you guys chose was ugly anyways, so you're all wrong. Green nor red carpet is what is appropriate in 2018. Get with it. I'm not very fashionable, I can tell you that. I don't really care, it's just carpet. We don't come to church for carpet, right? We come to church to hear the gospel preached and to worship, celebrate community together. We can do that with red, blue, green, yellow carpet, no carpet dirt, it doesn't matter. But what we start to see within church culture is what? It's, it's gotta be my way. I tithe here, it's up to me. That's where that context of what well, you better do what I'm telling you to do because I tithe here and that tithe pays your paycheck. Does that sound like submission and self-denial? Now listen, church, if we get this, if we run with this, we are going to stand out like a sore thumb in our culture. And when we talk about like, what does it look like if people just see that our lives are different? This is what is going to make our life different. This is going to make us stand out so much so in a culture that's always me first. If we go, no, 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 you first. Yeah, you're right. I agree. It should be you first. What do you want? How can I serve you today? What can I do for you? And this isn't like, I mean, we just got to be really clear here too, because we can all do this for a season. I mean, it's not that hard to pretend for an hour or two a day. What can I do for you? How can I serve you? My pleasure. Chick-fil-A kills it at this, but they're getting paid for that. What does it look like for us to actually believe that from the inside? Because Jesus is always saying, hey, you remember that idea of murder? Well, if, you, if you're anger at someone in your heart, you've just committed murder. You remember the idea of adultery? Well, even if you lust after someone in your heart, you've committed adultery. So Jesus isn't after this. Let's pretend for a couple hours a day and then go home and I'm going to rule the rules in my home. Jesus is concerned with this idea of constantly, what does it look like to constantly deny ourselves, submit ourselves to everyone around us for God's glory and for the love of man? So this isn't something that we could just pretend. This has to be a lifestyle. This has to be a prayer every moment of every day. Jesus, what does it look like for me to submit myself in this situation? Jesus, what does it look like for us to deny myself in this situation? And here's the truth bomb that I've been wrestling with. It's really obvious if we're honest. And this isn't some secret. What does it really look like for me to deny myself? We all know. Our, our pride will let us know when we're fighting for something. What, if you're in a conversation, you feel yourself getting heated, you're probably serving yourself, not man. All right? If you're in a disagreement, maybe you're serving yourself, not man. So we all understand. I don't have to sit here and say, okay, here's how we practically land the plane. Here's some application steps for us today. We know, we're already fully aware of our sin in our lives which leads us to how do we submit to others? So 1 Corinthians, I think you guys were almost there in 2 Corinthians. Flip to 1 Corinthians 9. We'll kind of start to land the plane with this idea. 1 Corinthians 9, 12 through, or 19 through 23. Actually, I lied, there's one more verse after this. Sorry, I made you guys use your Bible today.
That was sarcasm, I apologize. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. For the, for the glory of God and for the love of men, we serve all so that those might come to know him. Verse 20, to the Jews I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became one under the law, though not being, not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, as one of outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. So what does this look like? It's up to you, but why we do this is for the glory of God, for the love of man, that some might come to understand the glory of God and God's love for man. Because that's all been us, right? Can you be prideful and be saved? Can you walk into the conversion moment with Christ and still carry an ounce of pride? No, that is the beauty of the cross is you've come to the realization that I cannot do this on my own unless Christ intervenes, I'm destined for hell. And so for us, we have to lay everything down for the sake of the gospel so that we might win some. We have to deny ourselves, we have to submit to the world, not just because, but because we see Christ has done it so that we can be saved and so we will do it now so the world can be saved. That is the point of submission. Galatians 5 would say in the same way, I'll just read this one, you can write it down. Galatians 5, 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So what does then submission start to look like for us day to day? And I'm telling you, unless the motivation is there, it's not going to last. We can fake this for a while. But the motivation of submitting to those around us, to self-denial, is so that others can understand the glory of God and the love he has for man. That is our motivation. Paul makes it clear. I've done all of this. I've submitted myself to the weak, to the poor, to the Jews, to the non-Jews. I've denied myself in their presence so that those around us can come to know the glory of God and the love that he has for them. Now, as we're kind of ending, landing the plane, let me uh, step outside just for a second because there are a few things with submission and self-denial that we need to address. One, what do we do if we are in a situation where we're asked and we're trying to deny and submit to authority, but that authority is asking us to contradict scripture? What do we do then? Do we still deny ourselves? Do we still submit in this authority, in this, whether it be, I mean, this is never going to happen, whether it be government, whether it be a job that we're in, whether it be um, something like that. What do we do if someone has authority over us and they're asking us to do something contrary to scripture? Because Romans 13 would say, let everyone be subject to the authorities over them. So we want to walk in this. What then do we do? Well, Acts says it clearly, Acts 5, 27 through 29. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in his name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us, which is Jesus. Verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. 
So if you were put in this situation where I'm trying to submit to this authority, but they're asking me to do something contrary to what I see in Scripture, your submission and self-denial to Christ is predecessor to yours submission to those around you that first and foremost you submit to Jesus Christ and his word and his authority not man's authority so if you're ever in that moment if you ever get in this tension I'm trying to serve I'm trying to deny myself but he's asking or they're asking me something contrary to scripture your allegiance is first to Jesus Christ and his word not to man make sense the second one and this is probably the one that most of us are going to see experience at some level um, especially in the context of marriage. Because every time I've told people this week, like, oh yeah, I'm preaching on submission, I'm preaching on, oh, you better not talk about husband and wives. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's biblical, but it's not just husband and wives. The husband submits to God, that the, the wife submits, that our children submit. I mean, this is a culture that Jesus has established for us. So what then do we do with the idea of abuse? Because I don't know if you guys have followed all that's happened in the SBC in the past couple of months, um, but there's been some abuse that's taken place, and there's been a high leaders within our convention that says, hush and keep it quiet. Don't, don't report it. Just stay quiet. Don't, if this is going to turn into a big sting, don't, don't do that. Just, just keep it quiet. So what then do we do if you're in an abusive relationship, whether it be physical, emotional, spiritual, what, what then do we do? The first, I would say, is just let's go back to Colossians 3 and understand the context, especially within the idea of, of marriage. Wives, submit to your husbands. That is fitting in the Lord. Verse 19, husbands, love your wife and do not be harsh with them. So if we're going to truly submit to the authority of the land, abuse is illegal. There's no way around it. Abuse is illegal. So if you're in an abusive relationship, especially physical, call the police, call one of the elders, call someone in your missional community, and we will help you. This is nothing that we're uh, going to be embarrassed of. Like, let's keep it quiet. No, like, justice is the Lord's. So if, you, if there's physical abuse happening, your submission is, again, first and primary to Jesus Christ, not this abusive relationship. Now, if there's, phys- I mean, if there's not physical, but like emotional, or there's something on uh, the fringe where um, we would be walking into, verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. What do I do in this, sub- do I still submit in this relationship? Here's what I'll tell you. Uh, and and I'm going to take a breath here because I have three daughters and I was thinking about this last night and got very angry. Uh, so I'm going to try to say this as calmly as possible. If, if you are experiencing any kind of abuse, and ladies, I'm especially looking at you, and you're a member here at the Branch Church, you tell the elders and we will take care of it. Are we clear? So you don't have to submit to a man that's not loving you like Christ loves the church. If they're walking in sin, then that sin will be addressed. And it will be addressed quickly, and it will be addressed, if it has to, publicly, but we will end it. That we take sin within this congregation serious, and there are, Matthew 18 outlines very clear um, details for sin and how to handle sin. And we will walk through those steps and do whatever it takes to be necessary. But ladies, you are daughters of the king, and we intend to treat you that way. And we're not going to let anything happen that's going to contradict scripture. So, are there a few moments, was that calm enough? Because I can feel my blood pressure raising right now. There are a few moments within Scripture that submission and self-denial is to the detriment of your soul, not for the advancement of your soul. But those are few and far between. And we have to, have to address those. But the bigger picture is there's so much submission and self-denial to the world around us that will model the glory of God and for the love of man that will draw many sons and daughters to the King. 
that if we as a church actually live and walk this out just like Jesus did, I mean, just, I'll end with this. You think about Jesus, I alluded to earlier, Jesus in the garden praying. If there's any other way, I do not want to submit in this. I do not want to deny myself. If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. And what did that turn into? The single greatest moment in history. So there's going to be moments where we're going to say, I don't want to submit. I'm done. Self-denial is not for me. If this is what it means to be a Christ follower, I'm out. But we have to look at Jesus' example and realize that this led to the greatest moment in history. What we're about to celebrate, we're about to take communion together as a church, if you're a believer in this room, and we're celebrating the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate submission and self-denial from Jesus Christ so that we can live. So what then, church, do we do with this freedom? We do what Jesus did. We submit ourselves to those around us. We constantly deny ourselves so that people can know the glory of God and the love of man. So as we're taking communion this morning, just challenge yourself. Just be thinking through, what does it look like then for me to deny myself for the sake of the gospel? What does it look like for, those to, for me to truly submit myself to those around for the sake of the gospel, for the glory of God, and for the love of man? So I'm going to pray, and then we'll have communion. We can just kind of wrestle with this, and then we'll continue with worship. And Father, we are so grateful for you and uh, the example that you've set for us. That you, of all people, could have done literally whatever you wanted to. That you didn't need to submit. That you didn't need to lay down your life for us. That, that you didn't need to leave your place in heaven and come to earth for us. But you did. And so Jesus, as we're, as we're thinking about self-denial and submission, what does it look like for us to, to truly love the world? What does it look like to serve the world as we go to submit ourselves, to deny ourselves for the betterment of mankind, for your glory and for the love of man? Father, we... We know that you are an empathetic high priest. We know that you've done this first, that you set the example for us. And so, Father, as we take communion this morning, would that just wreck us? That in all that you're asking us to do and all that you've modeled for us, you give us the power and strength to do it. So let us not walk into this discipline of submission just because we have to. But Father, as you're changing us from one degree to another, as you're sanctifying us, Jesus, we pray that, that you would lead us into deeper waters, that we would be more like you, that we would be set free, that we would be liberated from what the world tells us how to live and the bondage that comes with that. And we could serve and love, expecting nothing in return because we've got you, we've got all that we need. So Father, as we take communion this morning, let us remember that you are the ultimate picture of submission and self-denial for the glory of God and for the love of man. Let us follow your example with that. In your name we pray, amen.